Can you do that? Can you praise Him in the storm? You ever had a storm in your life? Ever had to deal with something that you didn't want to deal with? If you haven't, I promise you, you will one of these days. How do we deal with that storm that comes? Maybe you're in a storm right now. I don't know. What do you do with that storm? Well, we're going to look at that today in Matthew 8, if you want to turn there. Uh, I'm going to have to talk really fast today, which means you guys are going to have to really listen fast, okay? I mean, put your fast listening ears on. Because we're going to have to move quickly. I don't know if the Lord wants me to give you the Reader's Digest version today or not. I don't know. We'll get there. We'll figure that out here in a minute. Matthew 8, we'll start in verse 23 through 27. Yeah, let's just go ahead and read that. And it says, when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. (laughs) And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Wow. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Chapter 8 of Matthew uh, talks about a lot of healing. Uh, Talks about that in the beginning of 8, he healed a leper. Then he healed uh, the centurion's servant. And then it says in verse 14 and 15 that he went to Peter's house and and, and healed his mother-in-law. I bet Peter was happy about that one. The Bible says that he healed some demon-possessed man. He brought the demon out of him. In the last part of of chapter 8, it says he took two men that were demon-possessed, and he ordered the demons out of that man, those two men, and put them in the pigs and the swine, and they went over the cliff. And we see this great chapter of of healing in chapter 8. And all of a sudden, it just for some reason, God sticks this story amongst all this healing that was going on. He sticks this story about a storm that the disciples were going to experience. I'm sure the disciples, they had just listened to the Sermon on the Mount. There has never been a greater message preached than the Sermon on the Mount. And I can, I can imagine the excitement that, that they had in, in thinking about it, about this message and, and seeing all these people healed. And, and I can just think in their minds, they might have been thinking, you know, man, this Christianity thing is a good thing. This is going to be a, a piece of cake. Here we get to listen to the greatest preacher of all preachers. We get to hear him perform miracles and we see healing and we see all this kind of good things going on. And I can just imagine in their minds thinking, yeah, this is... Uh, This is going to be a good thing. But then all of a sudden a storm comes into their life. A storm that they cannot control. A storm that would affect them physically and mentally and materially 
and spiritually. And, and, and you begin to wonder why would, why would God put this story in amongst this story of all this great healing and all of this great peace. You know, sometimes God does some, some crazy things. Sometimes we don't understand what God is, is going to do. Why would he do this? Why would he put these people through this storm? Why would he put you and I through this storm? You know, I think a couple of reasons before we really get going is, I think Jesus wanted to show them and wanted to show us who he is. That he is sovereign Lord. That he is all-powerful. That he can control nature. That he can control the wind and the sea. Because you see, the disciples had never seen that in him yet. It was just the beginning. And he wanted to send them a message that I, Jesus, am all-powerful. I think he wanted to send them another message that says, and he talks to us too about, and the disciples, that when you're going through a storm, when you're going through a personal storm, Jesus would say, I care about you. And I love you. And I will be in your storm with you. I will walk through your storm with you. I will not be an outsider. I will be not outside of the boat. But I will be in the storm with you. Because I love you and I care for you. And I will be able to help you during the storms of life. In verse 23 we see. We see that uh, uh, when he got Jesus got in the boat. The disciples followed him. The disciples followed him. You see, you see, the disciples got in the boat with Jesus. The disciple is someone who has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. They have made a commitment to him. They are following Jesus no matter what. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the cost, a disciple follows Jesus. In, in Matthew 8, 1, it talks about these large crowds that had been following Jesus. After the, after the Sermon on the Mount. But all of a sudden, just in a few days, all of a sudden there's no more crowds around. There's no more cry, crowds around there. The cost might have been too high, heavy. But it says the disciples, those truly that have been born again, got in the boat with Jesus. I'm reminded of Peter, who uh, in verses 14 and 15, Peter had a, had a life that he was living. He had a house that he was living in. He had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. He probably even had a family. And yet when God called him, when God called him into the ministry, the Bible tells us that he had to leave home and he had to leave his family and he had to go preach the gospel in other parts of the world. He, he didn't get to come home much. The cost of discipleship for him was, was great. And yet the Bible says he still continued to do that. Even though he was ridiculed and he's mocked and he's persecuted, he believed that the cause of Christ was more important than just his personal feelings. The cost of being a disciple is enormous. The cost of being a Christian can be enormous. For him, he gave up everything. I believe the Bible tells us that we too have a cost to pay if we're going to be born again. Uh, the Bible tells us in Luke 9, and I like this. It says in Luke 9, verse 23 and 24, it says this about the cost of being a, a disciple, about who gets in the boat, if you would, with Jesus. And he says this in this verse, if any man comes after me, if any man wants to be a believer, he says, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, being a Christian says we have to be uh, uh, 
our desires must be his will. We must seek his will. We must be self-denial. We must take up a cross. We must seek him and pursue him daily. If we're ever going to be a born-again believer, if we're going to commit, if the cost cannot be so high, we have got to get out of our own selves and we've got to live a life that's for Christ. Sometimes that's a, that's a deep commitment. That might be a deep cost. Not everybody wants to pay that cost. The second part of that verse, it says this, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. There are a ton of folks out here right now in our world who want to save their own life. They want to live their life how they want to. They, they, don't, they don't need God in their life. They're going to reject Christ, and they just, they just don't need Him. They're not going to be a disciple of Christ. And the Bible says if you want to save your life, and I think there's a book out there somewhere by some author, some pastor, who says this is your best life or something. I don't know how it goes. I didn't read it. But he says if that's what you want, if you want to reject Christ and do your own thing, what does he say in that verse? He says you will lose your life. You will be separated for eternity. You will lose your life. It's not worth it. But then he says, whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever commits to me, whoever wants to pay the price of being a born-again believer, what does it say? He is the one shall save it. You want to, you want to, you want to lose your life for Christ today? The Bible says you will live for eternity with him. Give it up today so that you can have eternity for heaven. That's what he's talking about. Take up your cross. Discipleship can be costly. You know, not everybody wants to get in the boat with Jesus. Did you know that? Not everybody that followed him wanted to get in a boat with Jesus. They just, people just don't care, do they? People just don't want to make that commitment. The cost of being a Christian is just too high. You know, you, 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 they say, I, I just, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make a commitment. I don't want to submit my life to somebody else. You know, that, that Christian life, they say, is too restrictive. Boy, not much fun in that, is there? You know, there's a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts, things you just can't do. And, and people get to think, I don't want to do that. That's, that's crazy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to submit my life. I want to live my life how I want to. I don't want to have to answer to a God. If there is a God, they would say. I want to do my own thing. My life, my choice. Uh, you've heard that. My body, my choice. Same kind of deal. I want to live my life how I want to. And they refuse to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. They go, you know, I don't, I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to lose my friends, my family, my job, my reputation if I were to be born again. And they just don't care, and they just don't want to get in the boat with Jesus. You know, besides that, though, I'm not a bad person, they say. I've done a lot of good things in my life, and I compare myself to somebody else that I know, and I'm not near the center that person is. I'm a good guy. And by the way, you know, I know everybody's going to heaven. And they just don't want to commit. They just don't want to pay the price. The cost is too heavy. They don't want to lose their life now, so they, they gain eternal life and they wonder what's going on here see not everybody cares in a town of 800 900 people in Arapaho there'll probably be about 125 150 people in church today in this little town you see not everybody cares not everybody wants to pay the price not everybody wants to get in the boat with Jesus only those true disciples will get in the boat with Jesus and there they are and all of a sudden, the Bible says, you're in the boat. You've been born again. You're in a boat. You're a Christian. You're committed. You've been born again. You love the Lord. You love doing the things of God. But then all of a sudden, something happens. And just like these disciples, it says, behold, there rose a great storm. And the boat was being covered with the waves. And Jesus was asleep. 
suddenly sometimes in our lives when life is on we're on cruise control and we have been born again and we're just basking in the glory of living for living for Jesus all of a sudden something happens all of a sudden a storm comes up all of a sudden a storm comes up and you're not expecting you sure didn't want it all of a sudden what what are we going to do and it comes up so suddenly you get that phone call from the doctor and said man I hate to tell you this but but buddy you got cancer or you get the phone from the doctor and he said, man, you've got congestive heart failure. You've only got so much time to live. I mean, that's a storm that hits you, doesn't it? And you weren't expecting that one. What about you get a call from, from the police that said your kid's now been arrested? Or you get a call from, a, from your job and your employer said, man, we appreciate what you've done, but you no longer need it at our, at our work. See, those are storms that comes up in our life. And sometimes those big storms come in our life. And it seems like the waves of those storms are going are to rush over our boat, if you would. And it's going to sink our boat. And, and anxiety and stress and pressure comes into our lives. And we have this storm that we weren't expecting it. And we go, what's going on here, God? God, what's, what's going on? And, and we, sometimes we allow our minds to go into why why am I dealing with this why is this storm come into my life God I, I have I have, I read your word daily God God I pray daily I come to church even on on holiday Sundays I'm still in church I, I give myself I submitted my life to you God God and you go why God why and I'm here to tell you God brings a storm when he needs to bring a storm Okay, He brings a storm when you need to learn something from the storm. I'm reminded of Job. I'm reminded of Job who the Bible says was blameless and upright. And he feared God and he ran from evil. And yet we know what kind of storm he ended up going through. A huge storm. A storm bigger than any of us would ever want to accept. You see, the storm came in... Job's life, even though he was extremely a righteous person, the storms still came. The storm came to Jesus when he was at his very weakest moment, when he's preparing, and he's in the garden for 40 days and 40 nights preparing for, for his mission, if you would. The storm of the enemy came and tried to get him to, to take a different path in life. You see, he'll come. He came to David when David was on the mountaintop of life. When everything was good, the storm came. You see, the storm comes at any time. You just don't know when it's coming. It could be when you're doing good or when you're doing bad or you're just, you're right in tune with the Lord. You're right in tune with Him. And yet sometimes that storm comes unexpectedly and it seems like it's going to wash your boat underwater. I've got good news for you though. In Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. God's, God's got good news for us all the time. And, 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 he, and he writes in Isaiah 43 in verse 2, he says, And when you pass through the waters, and if you would, I, I think God doesn't mind me doing this, I'm going to put of life at the end of it. When you pass through the waters of life, he says, I'll be with you. And through the rivers of life, they're not going to drown you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, neither will you be burned. For I am the Lord your God, Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What a great promise. 
when the storms come into your life, guess who knows the storm is there? Guess who's given us that promise? Guess what? When the waters of that storm rise, guess what it says? He says, I'm with you. When it seems like your stress and your burden of your storm is going to overwhelm you and, and drown you, it says, no, you won't. When the fires of life are so hot that it seems to be that you're going to melt, what does it say? He gives us that promise. You're not going to be burned. You're not going to be even scorched. You see, he gives us a promise during the storm. He gives us a promise to stand on. He wants us to stand on his promises and believe him. I'd sure write that one down if I didn't know that one. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. The disciples, they were good guys. They were self-sufficient. They had been in the storms before. They knew what a storm was. And they had handled the storms of life. They had hand, they'd been fishermen and they knew what a storm was. And they'd handled it all on their own. How many times do we do that as, as believers? That something comes into our lives and, and we handle it ourselves. We never take it to the Lord. We can deal with it ourselves. We have enough strength. We have a building of pride to deal with it. And we never take it to the Lord. But see, in this story, that was a little bit different. This storm was a little bigger than what they expected. This storm caused them to feel a helplessness, a hopelessness. They were fearful of the storm because this storm was so big, so, so powerful, too frightening for them. And the Bible says after they had tried to figure out what they were going to do, they finally decided, just like we do in our lives, we finally decide to take it to Jesus. And the Bible says they, they went to wake him up, save us, Jesus, because we are perishing. Jesus was in the boat with them, but their last option was Jesus. Jesus is in the boat with you and with me. And when the storm comes, is he our last option or is he our first option? I would urge you to make him your first option when the storms of life come. Why don't we do that? Why don't we, why don't we put Jesus as our first option when anything happens in our lives? Well, I think sometimes it is just a lack of faith that we have, a lack of trust. I think sometimes we just think we're so uh, independent and so strong that, we, that I'm going to handle these little things, these little storms. And we don't really go to him. I mean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has an answer for that, doesn't it? It says, when those storm, storm clouds come and the storm starts roaring, what does he say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't try to figure this out. God says, my thoughts are higher than yours and my ways are higher than yours. Don't lean on your understanding. He says, in all your ways acknowledge him. And he'll make your pathway straight. You see, when a storm comes, we have the option to decide if I'm going to deal with the storm personally or am I going to trust the Lord to deal with it? Am I going to try to figure it out on my own or am I going to seek his face? Am I going to seek his presence when things get hard and when it gets difficult? When they came to Jesus and they shook him and woke him up, they thought that he was asleep at the time. He was asleep. Storm didn't seem to bother him, did it? 
the rock and rolling of that boat didn't seem to seem to bother him. He was asleep. But in the mind of the disciples, it was, God, do you care? Jesus, do you, do you understand what's going on here? Jesus, do you know the need? Jesus, are you able to help us? Are you able to save us, Jesus? And it appears that he was just asleep. Has that ever happened in your life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That ever happened in your life? When you've got a storm going on, you've got something that's brewing in your life, and you pray and you pray, and it's like, like God's asleep, like he doesn't answer, that he doesn't even want to hear. Does he even care? That's what's, what I'm going through. Is he really asleep? No, he's not asleep. Jesus is not asleep. He's allowing us to experience something that we need to experience. What do we do when it seems that the Lord is silent? And I've, I've, I've had those days when it seems to be silent. I've had those weeks. I've had those months. <laughs> hey, Lord. <laughs> Remember me down here? I've been calling out to you every day. And he's silent. What do we keep doing? What do we do when God is silent in our storm? We keep praying. We keep praying. Luke, 9, Luke 11, 9 says this. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. You see, when we're going through a storm and it seems like God is asleep, that he's not paying attention, what does he say? Keep asking and keep knocking. Keep seeking. Pray persistently. Don't just pray once. Just keep knocking on the door of his room of grace. You see, God answers prayer in a, in a lot of different ways. See, when we're in a storm and we want, we want some immediate relief, sometimes he gives that to us. Sometimes he answers yes immediately. And boy, that's, those are the good ones, aren't they? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, thank you. Sometimes he answers yes. But he says, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe uh, down the road, down the road we'll, we'll let this happen. Why does he do that? Why does he make us wait when we're in the storm of life? Because he says, I want you, my son and my daughter, to trust me through this storm. I want you to have faith in me through this storm. So I want you to wait and I want you to pray and I want you to keep trusting. Even though I don't seem to answer. Even though you don't think I'm, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you. But I want you to learn to trust me and have faith in me. Another way that he answers prayer with a yes is I got a better plan for you. I want you to learn something. I want you to learn something during this ordeal, during this storm. Sometimes what she wants us to learn is good. Sometimes it's not so good. The children of Israel wanted a king. God said, you don't need a king. And they said, yeah, we do. God gave him a king. Didn't work out very good for him. Sometimes the answer is yes, so they will learn a lesson. Sometimes the answer is no, doesn't he? No, that's not, that's not good. You're asking with the wrong motives, he would say. You're asking for your will and not my will. I think of Jesus in Gethsemane. Not my will, Father, but your will. See, we need to pray in God's will for what God wants in our lives. Not selfishly, but his will. 
And then he'll answer no sometimes and he'll say, my plan is better than your plan. What I'm doing is better than what you want. And boy, don't you want that? God's plan is always plan A. It's always the best. I would say when you're going through a storm, pray persistently and understand that God has heard your answer. He's heard your plea. And he'll answer when his perfect plan has a perfect time. Real quickly, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be done. Stand on his promises. When a storm of life comes, stand on his promises. Stand on his promises when a storm comes. Psalm 34, 15. And I've done these verses before, but they just seem so true. So simple to understand. That's, I guess that's why I do them. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. What you need to understand when you're in a storm that seems to be drowning your boat, if you would, that the Lord sees what you're going through. Why? Because he's in the boat with you. You see, he sees what's happening. He hears your cry for help. He is so near to you that he is in that boat with you. And he's going to save you for those who are crushed in spirit. When, when the storms of life are, are, have got you, God sees and God hears and God is near. And he saves those who need saving. Another great verse that I would put to memory if I was you is Psalm 46, 1 and, and part of verse 2. Where it says... Uh, God is my refuge. He is my storm shower. He is my strength when I am weak, when I'm in a storm, when I don't know. He is my strength. He is my very present help in trouble. He's near, is he not? Then verse 2 says this, Therefore, therefore I will not fear, even if the world... Or the earth would change. Even if my circumstances have changed. Even if the storm has gotten stronger. Even if the waters are trying to drown me. He says, therefore I will not fear during my storm of whatever my storm is. Because he is my shelter. He is my strength. He is my very present help in time of trouble. What a great promise that he's given to us in the storms of life. Those, those verses must be more than just words on a page. They, can't, they, just can't be, they just can't be sitting here in this book that don't impact your life. When you're in a storm, you need something. You got to have something. And that something is his word. And that something is his promises when life seems to be drowning you. The disciples cried out, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. A cry of desperation. A cry of faith. It is a picture of salvation. Did you know that? That, that cry right there, save us, Lord, we are perishing, is a cry of salvation. It is a picture of salvation. Because when a sinner comes to Christ, 
He is in a desperation mode. He knows that he needs a Savior. He knows he's got a problem. He knows that he is perishing, if you would. And that Savior and that, and that sinner who knows he needs a Savior puts his faith and trust into Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus will save him. Just those words right there is a picture of salvation. They weren't thinking along those lines. They were thinking about their own hide. But it's still a picture of God's salvation. You know, he, they come to him, he wakes them up, we're perishing, we're perishing. And then he says, why are you afraid, O man of little faith? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea. And they became perfectly calm. You see, what they did not understand, and what we don't understand sometimes, is that Jesus knew about the storm. Yeah, he was asleep. He was snoring away. He knew about the storm. The storm didn't catch him by surprise. You see, he could have, he could have walked the disciples around the water if he wanted to, where they would have been safe on the land. But see, Jesus knew that the storm was going to come. He had something to teach them. So he took them, took them in the storm. Sometimes Jesus will take you and I into the storm. Did you know that? So many times I wish he would just take us around the storm. But he takes us through the storm. And guess who's in the boat with us as we go through the storm of life? Jesus is in the boat with us. Didn't catch him by surprise. He knew all along. You see, God's perfect plan has perfect timing. He understands what you and I need in order to grow as believers. He tells them, he says, why are you afraid? Man, you have little faith. You see, he, he, he kind of highlights the word faith there. Because you see, faith, faith is a foundation on which we live. Did you know that? Our faith is the foundation. It is a foundation where we put our feet down. That is the foundation of, of who we live with. Our faith dictates the way we live. Did you know that? The way we live, the way we act, the way we react is dictated by our faith. He wants our faith to be strong. Our faith regulates the things that we think about and the things that we say. Our faith softens our hardness of our hearts so that we really can love and we really can forgive. You see, Jesus said it's important that you have faith because it is your foundation and it, it regulates, it, it, it does for you how you are called to live. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, but, but why have such little faith? Why do you trust so little? Jesus wanted to speak to them and wanted them to learn a lesson. And then, of course, we know in verse 27, real quickly. The men were amazed and they said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Wow. You see, Jesus took them through a storm so that those disciples would learn something. They would learn who he really was. That they would learn that he is the sovereign God of the universe who controls nature, who loves you and cares for you. And Jesus wanted to teach them that. He wanted wanted those disciples to get a fresh vision of who Jesus was. He just wasn't a guy that just healed everybody he was more than that he, he was a man who controlled the wind and the sea and nature obeyed him 
He wanted the disciples to see that vision. He wanted the disciples to see a new vision of themselves, who they are. He wanted them to see that, that I, I am in control, that you submit my life to me. I want you to trust me, Jesus would say. I want you to have faith in me, Jesus would say, during the storms of life. And he wanted to teach them that. And I think he wants to teach us that. That when we go through the storms of life, believe it or not, there is a reason why we go through those. It just, just, just doesn't just happen. God has a plan for your life. And maybe as you walk through a storm, he wants you to learn something about, it, about yourself. He wants you to get a fresh vision of who God really is. And the only way we can get that out of a storm of life is not to constantly ask why, but constantly ask what. What do you have for me, God? What do you want me to learn from this, God? Why? I, I, I've, got, I've got this cancer, God. What do you want me to learn? And all this time, what God wants to do is to mold you and to shape you into somebody that looks like Jesus. I mean, that's his purpose. It's not to punish you, not to make you feel bad, not to make you feel sick. He wants you to look to him, to trust him, to have faith in him, so that he can mold you into a person that looks just like Jesus. Ultimately, that's what he wants in your life. And if it takes a trial, if it takes a a suffering, if it takes a storm, he's going to do it. Why is he going to do that? Because he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He loves you so much that he will allow storms to your life so that you can learn to grow and be shaped into a person that looks like Jesus. Don't be mad about it. Find out what do you, what, what's going on. And accept it and, and embrace it. And trust him. And let him work in your life. If you are a born-again Christian, I can, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is in your boat right now. He is in your boat. And you're in his boat. And when you're on the mountaintop of life, he's in your boat. When you're in the valley, he's in your boat. When you're in the good part of life, he's in your boat. When the bad part, he's in your boat. I don't want you to remember that he is there. And he loves you and he cares for you. A perfect God has a perfect plan at a perfect time in your life. What is he calling you to do? What do we do? I'd urge you to keep praying. I'd urge you to to, to stand on his promises. And like that last song that we listened to, I will praise him in the storm. When it doesn't seem like he's here, maybe seems like he's asleep, he said, I want you to praise me anyway. Because somewhere down the road, there is a little light at the end of that tunnel, wherever your storm is. And that light is a picture of Jesus and he says, praise, praise me for that. Because that light will get bigger. That light will get bigger. And finally, you'll walk out of that storm. You'll walk out of that tunnel into the brightness of Jesus that he has for us. God sees what you're going, going through. He hears your cries. He is so near that you can touch him. And he's going to save you for those who are crushed in spirit. Even in the storms of life, Jesus loves you. As we begin our invitation time. Uh, God is good. And when he has brought us into difficult times. 
Do you throw your hands up and say, I quit? Or do you throw your hands up and say, I praise you, Lord? I promise you, if you can ever get to that point in your life, to be able to praise him in the storms, your Christian walk will be so much better. So much better. If you're going through a storm, I would just I would encourage you to keep praying. Keep standing on his word and keep praising him. As we bow our heads and close our eyes for invitation time. I don't know how God has spoken to you, but I'm gonna just let God just the Holy Spirit just speak. I'll be quiet. Holy Spirit work if you would. <laughs>